It's a pleasure to have you listening to my show today. My sincerest desire is for you to get something from it that will make your life richer, fuller, and safer. My name is Reverend Wynn Henderson. As an ordained Christian minister and a retired medical doctor, I have a dual perspective to bring you content to solve problems in your life. This podcast is the longest-running, single-hosted, spiritually-based radio internet talk show in America. It's been on the air for over 24 years. I bring you information about the disease of addiction, about your purpose in life, and investigative reporting on truth just below the surface. According to the CDC, one out of every four deaths is caused by heart disease in America. 800,000 Americans suffer a heart attack every year, with about a quarter being a reoccurrence. Moreover, about one out of four heart attacks is silent. That means the damage is done, but the person is not aware of it. Viewed from a scientific stance, peak heart-to-health and performance begins at the cellular level. Um, We uh, give our cells and organs the right combinations of raw materials, and when we do, they get what they need to flourish, and in turn, they will optimize one's cardiovascular fitness throughout life. Our guest today is Brian Lusk. Brian offers basic key steps to prevent or mitigate heart disease, high blood pressure, and other health-related issues naturally. He is a military veteran, author, and health advocate. He grew up in the south side of Chicago, and despite the challenges of gang violence and poverty, he became a successful safety inspector and quality control specialist with the United States government. He spent four years in the United States Air Force learning the true meaning of empowerment and pride. His desire is to serve and protect others, and that desire led him to begin writing his Share the Health book series, aiming to treat debilitating conditions. His latest book, which we will be discussing today, is Heart Disease and Hypertension. Vitamin Therapy for a Healthy Heart. Brian, it's nice to have you on the program today. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, why did you write this book specifically? Uh, excellent question. Uh, first, I want to uh, say thank you for this opportunity to share information with your audience and to uh, express my uh appreciation for your kind introduction. 
Several years ago, I had a couple of medical issues that were new to me. Um, to be more specific, it was a uh, very acute foot cramp that I had never ex experienced before in my life. Uh, and then uh, about a day later or so, I, I had what I referred to as a somewhat irregular heartbeat, which was also uh, new to me. Um, so, of course, I sought out medical professionals to help diagnose and resolve the issue, and they performed several tests and couldn't find anything wrong as far as the cause of these issues. So I, I took it upon myself to do some research, and after reading several medical journals and, and other uh, health-related sources, uh, I came to the conclusion that I might be suffering from a vitamin deficiency. So I have purchased certain foods and actual supplements to replenish what I suspected may have been an issue, and it turns out that resolved the problems that I was having. But what supplements to my surprise, did you, it, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. What supplements did you take to help resolve your problem? Uh, magnesium uh, glycinate specifically was, was the uh, the root of the issue. I was suffering from a magnesium deficiency that was not detected or diagnosed. Gotcha. Okay, go on with your story. Oh, I, I was going to uh, further say, to my surprise, uh, a few weeks later, I noticed that I was no longer relying heavily on my asthma inhaler. I've had asthma since the age of seven, and I'm currently 57 years old. And so at that time, I was taking a daily inhaled steroid, and I had a rescue inhaler that I kept with me everywhere. And then I noticed I started to forget to bring my inhaler to work with me or when I went out to, uh, to the store. And I realized that I, I wasn't using it as often. So I weaned myself off of the steroid without, you know, medical supervision. I don't recommend that. <laughs> and lo and behold, uh, I still have asthma to this day, but the, uh, the impact and the severity are extremely diminished when I started to uh, take supplements uh, to resolve those first two issues. And, and because of that and, and other uh, uh, benefits, I decided to write a book because I wanted to share that knowledge with as many people as I possibly could. I see. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about medicines, vitamin or mineral medicines related to hypertension in a second. Um, I have another question. What are the three categories of risk factors for people for heart disease that you have found in your research? Oh, excellent question. But when it comes to uh, heart attacks, we have uh, contributing uh, risk factors, um, risk factors that we can control, and risk factors that are out of our control. Uh, for instance, uh, risk factors that we cannot control are age, uh, genetics, and, and even uh, gender plays a role in uh, the risk of heart attack. 
those that we can control our lifestyle, such as uh, how active we are, uh, whether or not we drink excess alcohol, and uh, even the stress and anxiety uh, that we are exposed to, we have some control over that as well, but not, not always. Some of the um, contributing risk factors, such as uh, smoking, uh, drastically increase or contribute to uh, the, the risk of heart disease. So, so there are some things that we can control in our diet as well, uh, plays a, a major factor in uh, development of heart disease. Do you think that diet alone can prevent heart disease? And, and what are your feelings about foods that you eat and also about supplements that you might take? Oh, excellent question. Uh, diet in and of itself in a vacuum, it can help to reduce the likelihood of developing heart disease. Uh, but if you would also add a, uh, an active lifestyle, such as exercise or walking or even dancing, that would also contribute to lowering the, the risk of developing heart disease. And, of course, how we prepare our foods plays a major role. But w w what I decided to address was something that's rarely discussed in, in these discussions regarding uh, heart disease and other health conditions which are micro and macronutrient deficiencies that often go undiagnosed and, and untreated. And therein is your advice for supplementation. Absolutely. Well, I would like to add the caveat to uh, supplement is to fill those nutritional gaps that we cannot fill by food alone. But if we can get those nutrients out of out of the foods that we eat, that's the preferred method. And, and what we cannot get from that, then uh, that's what supplements can play a, a powerful role. What uh, nutritional supplements, uh, in your opinion, are the most beneficial as far as helping you with heart disease? That's a thousand-dollar question, and from my experience and my research, it's actually a combination. What, what I found, one of the uh, least diagnosed um, deficiencies that is very prevalent in the United States and the world at large is a magnesium deficiency, and unfortunately, magnesium deficiency can uh, contribute to a whole host of health conditions and ailments. And, and it's a gradual process, so it really goes unknown and, and undiagnosed until you reach a, an acute stage, which takes place over years rather than days or weeks. So if you turn around a magnesium deficiency, you will reduce your risk of developing a host of uh, health conditions, including heart disease. But magnesium alone uh, isn't a magic bullet. Uh, many of us have a slight to moderate zinc deficiency, especially as we age. 
uh, that also, that deficiency will also contribute to the, the development of heart disease. And uh, the omega-3 fatty acids, which we typically get from uh, consuming fish for the most part, uh, a deficiency in that can also contribute to the development of heart disease. And one other uh, mineral that all of us are woefully uh, low on is potassium. Uh, believe it or not, uh, uh, potassium is an easy element to get your hands on and to consume, but the majority of us are extremely potassium deficient. And this, this also can lead to contribute to obesity and contribute to the formulation of, uh, formation of heart disease over time. It's not overnight, though. Well, I don't think, and you can correct me if you think so, but I don't think there's any specific things that you can say, I've got this symptom, so therefore I think I might have a deficiency of magnesium, zinc, or potassium. You just need to have a, a blood test and find out, right? Oh, that, that, that's an excellent question and, and, and comment. And I would agree with the majority of that. The, the challenge with the blood test is that magnesium, for instance, uh, nearly 50% of the magnesium in our bodies are stored in our bones. And another uh, like 49% or so is stored in our fatty tissue, which leaves a little less than 1% in our bloodstream. And that 1% can vary based on how stressful your day was, um, what you happen to have eaten that day. So sometimes blood tests for things, elements such as magnesium aren't that accurate until you are acutely deficient. And once you become acutely deficient, you'll likely suffer symptoms such as uh, muscle tremors, muscle cramps, uh, possible fatigue, and so forth. And normally when we suffer these symptoms, that's when we actually get tested for deficiencies. But my goal is to prevent you from getting to that stage in the, in the first place. Well, I know that personally I take supplemental magnesium and zinc and potassium, and I personally measure my blood levels every quarter to make sure that they're within normal limits. So am That's I wonderful. doing as much as I can? With respect to supplements, that 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 is a wonderful. I wish more individuals were, were like you. <laughs> um, uh, I'm sorry. What was the question about supplements? Well, I, I take uh, a lot of supplements, but according to what we've been talking about, magnesium, zinc, and potassium, I take those every day. And I'm wondering, yes. is there anything else? that I might uh, look at to see if I'm not taking enough of it? Ah, uh, that's another excellent question. Well, unfortunately, as, as we age, which you probably are aware of, especially with your background, our uh, digestive systems don't absorb as readily as, we, as they did when we were in our 20s. It seems like mo most of our uh, processes seem to struggle a little bit more as, as we age, unfortunately. Uh, so, so that said, uh, again, those three are, are great supplements to take. 
but also the, the, the type that's taken is important. For instance, magnesium oxide is very poorly absorbed by the, the average person. Uh, studies indicate that uh, the average person will absorb approximately 4% of the dose of magnesium oxide when, when taken by mouth as a supplement. Whereas magnesium citrate and magnesium glycinate or even magnesium biglycinate, those absorb extremely well and, and you receive a, a much larger portion gets uh, absorbed into our systems. So, so it, it is definitely great to take uh, supplements, not, not to overtake them, of course, in, in, in excess, but also to uh, be mindful of the formulations uh, that, that we consume to, to get the most benefit. Uh, added to that, uh, and I follow your same regimen, by the way, uh, I also take a uh, high-quality multivitamin, which is a broad spectrum, right? It, it contains many micro and macronutrients to, to cover the bases. But I typically, I don't take the full recommended amount. For instance, uh, the one I take says take, to take two a day. Uh, I'll take one a day, or sometimes I'll break a tablet in half and just take half a day. But I rarely would t take two a day. Uh, does that answer some of your questions? Yeah. I take vitamins also, but I take specific vitamins, not multivitamins. And I take a sure. much higher dose of vitamin D and vitamin yes. C because those help your immune system fight off COVID. And, uh, Absolutely. I'm taking... 5,000 international units of vitamin D3 three times a day. That's 15,000 units. Um, and as far as vitamin C goes, right now I'm taking 500 milligrams three times a day. It's a water-based vitamin, and sure. you can't overdose on it. So that's what I do. Now let's talk... Yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, I, I was going to uh, mention when it comes to vitamin D, uh, some people are not aware of the actual process, and sometimes they confuse the measured vitamin D in their system with the vitamin D that they ingested, even though they are definitely directly re related. And, and uh, is it okay if I speak to that for a minute? Sure, go ahead. Certainly, and you're probably already aware so we either ingest uh, supplemental vitamin D3 or we get it in foods or we get it from exposure to sunlight during certain times of the year and based on where you live according to the hemisphere. Well, when they measure our vitamin D levels, they're not measuring the type of D that you've consumed or, or developed from sun exposure. That vitamin D that you consume actually gets processed in your liver and it uses, utilizes magnesium as a catalyst and, and to convert it to another form of vitamin D. And it is, it is the second form of vitamin D that's, that's normally tested in our blood. So sometimes what is overlooked uh, when one has a vitamin D deficiency, it may not be specifically they don't get enough vitamin D. It could be they're low on magnesium, which is needed to convert to vitamin D, or their liver could not be functioning 
100% to make that conversion process fully successful. But then uh, the process doesn't stop there. We have this second form in our bloodstream. It goes through a third uh, exchange within our kidneys. And then when it goes through our kidneys, our kidneys determine how much of the hormone calcitriol that our body needs, and it converts that second form into the active hormone that actually does all of the work inside of us. So I just wanted to share that with you and your audience. I'm sure you are already aware of this. Well, now, I think what we need to be talking about is vitamin D3. And, uh, yes. and, and that correlates well with blood levels. In other words, if you're below 20 um, nanograms, then you definitely need to be taking it. And you can push it up to 100 without experiencing any problems. When you get up to the higher levels, you're protecting yourself against uh, COVID. So that's why you can get it over the counter at the drugstore. That's why I'm suggesting that you don't only take a, a multivitamin, which has a low dose of vitamin D, yes. but you take it as an individual supplement. And then you can uh, get your doctor to run blood tests to find out where on the scale between yes. 20 and 100 you're at. I absolutely agree. Okay, let's talk about hypertension. Um, what does a person do with respect to diet or supplements to lower the blood pressure? Oh, another excellent question. To give a little background, everyone is, is likely familiar with the fact that we all have blood vessels just you know, strewn throughout our body. And uh, some may not be aware that the arteries carry fresh, highly oxygenated blood into our system, and the veins carry the used blood away from our system to be refreshed again. Well, it turns out that our arteries are more than just hollow tubes that, that fluid flows through. They actually are, are very uh, active in, in our health. And, and when it comes to hypertension, we're actually measuring the amount of pressure that occurs within our arteries when our heart is at rest and also when our heart beats. So, of course, at rest, we get the low number, and when it beats, we get the higher number. When it comes to hypertension, quite often there's, there's two uh, dynamics that come into play. One is our arteries are becoming clogged. You know, with things such as plaque, which causes our hearts to push harder to get enough blood through this, to our extremities. It's sort of like when you put your thumb at the end of a water hose and the water sprays harder. That, that's sort of what's occurring inside our arteries, which we don't want. We want to avoid if we can. And then there's also the hardening of the arteries as the artery walls thicken. Well, it turns out that we actually have a muscle around our arteries that's designed to contract and to relax to regulate our blood pressure and our body temperature. So magnesium is your body's natural muscle relaxer. 
if you're deficient in magnesium, this can actually contribute somewhat to hypertension or high blood pressure because your muscles aren't able to relax fully, which is one of the reasons why muscle cramps and muscle tremors are a sign of magnesium deficiency. In addition to that, when it comes to plaque buildup within the arteries constricting that passageway, there's this uh, condition that most people probably never heard of called endothelial dysfunction. And I'll say that five times fast, right? Well, to hopefully simplify it, endothelium is an inner layer of our arteries. And it's sort of like uh, that non-stick surface in a, those old frying pans. And what happens when we are lacking certain nutrients to keep our endothelium healthy, it loses its non-stick uh, ability, and also it produces less of an element called nitric oxide. Nitric oxide prevents plaque, and, well, cholesterol, I should say, from sticking together and from sticking to our walls. And as we produce less nitric oxide, we open the door for plaque to build up and cholesterol to start sticking together, forming clumps, and to start sticking to our walls. So if we keep our nutrients at a... Um, a, a high enough level to keep our endothelium healthy, we, we actually reduce the likelihood of developing a high blood pressure by preventing the inner linings of our arteries to start building up with uh, plaque. And, and uh, something as simple as green tea contains uh, an element called catechins. Those help to uh, protect and, and keep our endothelium healthy. Also, we've always heard that red wine is good for you. <laughs> well, it turns out there's an actual um, chemical that comes from the red grape, mainly in the skin of the grape. And that chemical also helps us to keep a healthy endothelium and to develop uh, more nitric oxide, which will prevent cholesterol from sticking together. So the uh, long story long, uh, red grapes, green tea, um, magnesium, zinc, the, the very things that you take are all elements that will help to keep our uh, arteries clear and flexible, which in turn would help to reduce uh, blood pressure or adverse prevent hypertension. And um, you have more information in your book about these things and, and how much to take and that kind of stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, there was an interesting question that I read in your materials, and it relates to the effect of sleep on heart disease. What's the relationship? Ah, during my research, that was new to me, and I was amazed when I found that. So it turns out sleep is more important than I actually realized, even though my parents always told me to get your sleep, as well as my doctor, of course. Well, when we get an adequate amount of sleep, our bodies go into this process called nocturnal blood pressure dipping. And it turns out that during this process, your blood pressure lowers, your resting blood pressure lowers approximately 20%. And during this state, our 
arteries in our heart are given time to replenish, rebuild, and uh, to uh, become strong again from all of the stressors and damage that were done throughout the day. If we do not get adequate sleep, we do not enter into this nocturnal blood pressure dipping process, therefore denying our heart and our arteries that time to rebuild and replenish themselves on, on a daily or maybe possibly a nightly basis. And, of course, the, the uh, less sleep you get, let's say you get five hours versus six hours, you may enter into that process, but it, it would be for a much shorter duration, and you will likely not enter down to 20% of lower blood pressure, you may get down to, let's say, for instance, 10% of lower blood pressure, which increases your risk of heart disease exponentially by not entering into that, that process. What uh, sleep uh, amount is necessary, and is it uh, correlated with your age? How much sleep do you need to get? Well, as with all things, we all are unique uh, individuals with our own genetic uh, makeup and, and clocks. But in general, at a minimum, I mean bare minimum, six hours is, is considered the threshold of the least amount of sleep a person should get. Of, of course, I like the cushion of saying six and a half hours should be the minimum any person should get. And as a maximum, many people have heard of getting eight hours of sleep. Well, that's actually more of a maximum threshold. It turns out when you start getting excessive sleep, nine, ten hours, that, that is also detrimental to your health. So that, that sweet spot or that window is considered six and a half to eight hours of sleep uh, each day. And, and uninterrupted sleep, uh, taking a power nap will not make up for not having six and a half to eight hours of uninterrupted sleep. A lot of people have to go to the bathroom uh, during the evening, and the more times that you've got to go, the more your sleep cycle is interrupted. Uh, yes. Have you found in your research that there's anything that correlates with how often you wake up during the evening to uh, need to go to the bathroom with the total amount of sleep that you get? Well, according to sleep studies, you know, each of our sleep cycles, which run about 90 minutes per cycle, where we're at the sort of like the verge of being awake but not quite, and then we like a roller coaster and then we deep dive, we dive deeply into that realm beyond sleep. So it, it depends on where in that cycle you find yourself being in your sleep being interrupted. Uh, based on the studies, when a person was interrupted during the high point of the cycle, when they when they were closest to that waking state but not quite, uh, they were more cognitive by far versus the person that was awakened in their the deep the valley of their sleep. And the same should ring true of the uh, nocturnal blood pressure dipping cycles. And just for our, our brains to uh, to refresh as well, uh, but no one really times their you know with, with that that urge to go to the restroom. And, and you're correct, as we age, that urge seems to become more prevalent. Uh, so there there are some there are a lot of uh, moving parts to determining the actual impact 
of having your sleep disturbed and the frequency of that disturbance uh, to determine the, uh, you know, how deep or how adversely you're being impacted by that. And of course, as we sleep, those sleep cycles become deeper and deeper throughout the night. So if you wake up, let's say within the first hour and a half, it's probably not as adversely impactful because you really haven't reached that deep, sound sleep and, and you haven't entered into the nocturnal blood pressure dipping process yet. But let's say you're on, on hour four of your sleep and get interrupted or hour three or hour five, these could have more, could more adversely impact your health because that's when you're your, your deeper uh, sections of your sleep pattern, and that's when you're in your nocturnal blood pressure dipping process as well. There are a lot of people these days that are writing about the mind-body-soul connection. Do you see a connection uh, there, and how does it relate to what you've found in your research? Oh, ab absolutely. Um, it, it, it's all one system. Our mind, body, our souls, it, it, they all are interactive. They all impact one another. And according to studies, people dealing with high stress for an extended period of time and anxiety for an extended period of time have a much higher risk of developing uh, heart disease. I would also uh, put depression in there as well. Possibly not so much because of the depression itself, but more so because of the impact the depression has can have on our habits. Because when a person is stressed, anxious, or depressed, uh, when they're depressed, you tend to lose your appetite, right? You, you tend to fall out of good habits because you, you, you're basically just struggling to, to make it through the day. Anxiety is a little bit different because we actually secrete adrenaline when we're anxious. And when that adrenaline secretion is prolonged, then, then that chemical process can directly impact our risk of heart disease, uh, along with the other um, cofactors such as lack of appetite or, uh, or, or loss of good habits because we're focused on an issue that's impacting our lives or the loss of a loved one the loss of a job, things of that nature. And unfortunately, because we can't see mental pain, you know, by looking at someone typically, unlike when we see someone with blood gushing out of a, out of a vein or out of their arm, we know to run to their aid. But when someone is um, suffering mentally, unless they express signs of that mental pain, uh, it often goes ignored. And, and, and it builds over time. So I encourage everyone, if you feel yourselves under these situations for an extended period of time, please seek professional help, just like you would if you had the flu or COVID or blood gushing out of a, a part of your body. It's, it's, uh, it's an injury that needs to be treated. And there's no weakness in seeking treatment. Bryant, uh, will you tell our audience that's listening today, how they can get a copy of your book, uh, Heart Disease and Hypertension? Absolutely. You can either go to any major book retail store, uh, such as uh, Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can go to your independent 
bookstore, which I highly encourage to support your independent bookstores. Or you can go online to uh, sites such as Amazon uh, to purchase it. And uh, there's my website, uh, bryantluff.com, for a little more information as well. Okay. Um, bryantlusk.com. And um, you, uh, you have more information at your website. And so I would advise you all out there to pick up a copy of this book and to go to Brian's website and find out more about his thoughts on heart disease and hypertension. Brian, it's great to have you on the program today, sharing with us what you know about uh, adding supplements uh, and your your diet, um, because all this is important. My mission or purpose in life is to spread the message that there is a cure for every addictive behavior. This is a spiritual cure, and the treatment program is profiled in my book, Freedom from Addiction 4, The Final Message. You can get that on Amazon. If you meet three simple criteria, everyone gets well from their addictive behaviors. I have three free resources where you can start your journey. The first is a link to this podcast. Go to freedomfromaddiction.libson.com. No caps, no spaces, and spell Libson, L-I-B as in boy, S-Y-N. You can um, also hear Brian's uh, story there. The second is a link to my website where you can find out more about my work with addiction, go to www.revwinhendersonmd.com. And my final resource for you is my Twitter account. Search at Hugo the Artist on twitter.com. There you will find over 2,200 inspirational and educational daily pearls of wisdom to make your life happier and more successful. Brian, thanks again once again for being on the program today. And uh, Glad to be here. And if you write another book, let me know and we'll do it again. Right. We look forward to it. You stay safe and thank you very much.